Hello everybody and welcome to the next episode of Confessions of a Letting Agent. Um, today we have a very special episode because I'm not in the studio lo alone. I have my colleague and co-director Ollie Lawson and we've got a very special guest um, we're going to interview and he's a very good friend of Ollie's. Ollie, who have we got? So this week um, we've actually got uh, an ex- Medium, medium to good friend of Ollie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, trying to steal the thunder as, as usual. Uh, we've got an ex-Scotland rugby international, uh, Tim Visser, in the, uh, well not in the studio because you're, you're over in uh, Holland at the moment, Tim. Um, but uh, yeah, Tim, Tim's actually got quite a bit of experience in property development and property investment. Um, and we're looking forward to, uh, to, to finding out kind of what Tim's been up to and, um, and, and what, uh, what Scottish investment, pro Scot Scottish property investment is like. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be on. Uh, obviously, have been medium to good friends with Ollie for a long time. <laughs> we, uh, we actually met at university where uh, my whole property, uh, well, started, my whole property world started. But uh, yeah, that's a long, old time ago now. Any dirt you can give us on Ollie at university, Tim? Or? Okay, so moving on from uh, from from there, yeah. Um, I mean, this is probably going to be one of the most um, intimidating interviews you've ever done, right, Tim? I mean, you're not used to uh, being in front of a, uh, a camera and a microphone, so um, yeah, I really struggled to be in the limelight. Looking forward to seeing uh, how you get on with the uh, with the pressure and handle that. Uh, yeah, I think I think. Well, I've heard before that pressure is for tires. <laughs> That's one of Ollie's sayings. Actually. We've actually we've got that up in the office. Yeah, we've got that up in the office. I wonder who you got that from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, so Tim, Tim, yeah, talk us through kind of your love affair with property. Then, um, obviously, we met uh, in Newcastle, and um, and that was your that was your place of your first property investment, right? Yeah. So I, I started playing rugby as a seventeen-year-old kid, eighteen-year-old kid, um, in Newcastle, and the whole thing really started with me wanting to buy a place to live. I think um, in Holland, as I'm, I'm a Dutch um, I'm a Dutch national, I think you're always <laughs> encouraged to buy a property. It's always, you know, the beard and, and all it of, um, of anyone's uh, goals to own their own property, yes, I think. Yeah, stature Whether, and, yeah, like, like, like in the UK, I guess. But yeah, very it's very similar, uh, and, you know, and, and actually, it's not it's not the same in the rest of Europe. I think in Germany the amount of renters are is much higher proportionally to to property owners. But being from um, Holland uh, and, and like you guys uh, would have been back in the day, I was encouraged to buy a property. So um, as an eighteen year old, uh, bought my first flat for about one hundred and thirty eight thousand pounds in Newcastle um, in June two thousand and seven. Which was only months away from the financial crash. <laughs> oh, no. So, Tim, so just to ask you a question. So, at this time, are you playing for Newcastle Falcons? Is that is That's so right. you've got your yeah. permanent contract with Newcastle Falcons, yeah. making some some money, and you think I'm going to buy this property? I'm going to buy a property. I'm going to use the contract to get a big old mortgage on it. Um, I think I've got a 95% mortgage, maybe even at the time, maybe even more. This is in the time when you could get 100% mortgage and 5% yeah. on top of furniture, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously for good reasons not there anymore. Um, but did that, uh, lived in it for a couple of years. My contract with Newcastle ended. Um, but at the time, there was quite a few guys at Newcastle who were in uh, were investing in property. And I think for rugby players, property is a very easy thing to invest in for a variety of reasons, but but mainly the fact that we've got a lot of disposable income, so it's easy to, to borrow against contracts. Um, 
you've always got money for deposits and and, uh, and furnishings and that kind of stuff. But I think on top of that, uh, it's it's an easy investment to envisage and to see. It's bricks and mortar. It's there. It, yeah. You can understand it. Uh, and uh, you know, property has risen forever. You know, we we've had ups and downs, of course, but. Um, over the over the the time that I've been alive, for instance, um, it has never gone down. You know, it's gone up and down, up and down. And, and I guess, and I guess, it's like a, a you know a rugby player back then, and, and equally in, in any any professional sport, football, you know, and things like you, you're thinking to yourself, you know, well, my, you know, I've only got 15 years career in this thing, you know, if not 20 years, so I need to start thinking about, you know, when I get a bit older, what am I going to do then? And I guess, as you see, property is the obvious one to to look at. It is, it is. And I think, um, as you guys all know, there's a variety of, of ways to invest in property with a variety of goals. But I was certainly not that educated at the time. And um, you know, Newcastle has actually turned out to be by far the worst investment that I've ever made. It's always covered its own, um, it's covered its own back in terms of rent. Uh, but I think it's still not worth more than what I bought it for in 2007. And, you know, we are 15 years further, which is, wow. I mean, the Northeast is the last place in the UK to not surpass pre-financial crash numbers. Um, and I think it's just about an hour. It just yes. has. Yes. But it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, it, it's okay for me because it was on a, I put it on a repayment mortgage. So it's always washed its own hands or back, whatever you call it in English. And um, face. Face, sorry, twice wrong there. Um, and uh, you know, I've paid off that mortgage for a large part, so, so it's fine. But it just shows that if you don't go in with uh, a plan A and potentially a plan B, you can end up in situations which don't always turn out well. They can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. And uh, I think that it's quite a common theme um, across property investors. I'm sure that there's a lot of people, uh, me included who'd say that the first um, property that they ever invested in was not their best and was probably their worst, um, which was uh, which was definitely the case for me, bought around a similar time. Um, and like you say, it's probably just kind of got out of negative equity now. Um, so all right, if you're kind of holding on to it for the long game, but um, if you need to ever let go of it and liquidate that, then you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, you are. And I, you know, I think from the experience that I've gained now, you know, the, the two, opposite ends of the spectrum is, is you're either trying to uh, get yourself an income stream. So you need a high yielding property, um, which I know you guys do a lot of stuff of down in Darlington. Um, that's slightly trickier in Edinburgh because prices are much higher. So the yields are slightly lower. Um, it is still possible though, because rents are forever rising and especially in the cities and, and Edinburgh mm -hmm. is not uh, too dissimilar. Um, or you look at long-term capital gain and, and that's something that in Edinburgh is is a phenomenal, phenomenal journey. Um, I personally did not go in with that um, goal, but anywhere in Edinburgh, and you know, I don't know what it's like in the rest of Scotland because I do not dare move outside of Edinburgh city centre. But it's um, you know, we we've done we've done ten to twelve percent year on year for the last couple of years. Uh, four or five years and through COVID last year with you know three months of the year being gone we still did eight percent mm, uh, and, and anywhere in the city center will have enjoyed that the premium areas obviously go up disproportionately and, and that's the areas where people go in with a view of, of achieving capital gain because the yield in those areas will be below three percent so you can't 
it's hard to gear that at the right level and achieve an income stream there. But um, if you don't need that and you're looking at you know long-term wealth creation, then uh, yeah, Edinburgh certainly is a good one for that. So yes. Oh yeah. Go on. Sorry, Tim. So so going back. Sorry. So just 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 um, for the benefit of our listeners, and what was your second property you bought? And where did where was your first touch point into property after you had this um, Newcastle flat? And where did you go from there? So. So I did, I did the Newcastle flat, um, which was on a normal residential mortgage. And when I eventually wanted to buy a house in Edinburgh, I asked for consent to let, which you can do. Right. Um, and sorry, just going back, why did you end up in Edinburgh? Sorry, just as well. I don't, I don't know. The I started that. playing for Edinburgh rugby. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay. Transferred to Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up in, in Edinburgh for work and, um, I asked for consent to let on my flight in Newcastle, got it. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's hard or not, but I got it very easily. Um, and, and that's just always been let out. It, it's in Long okay. Benton, so it's just outside Gosford. And it's a, you know, it's a nice new build area and, and there's no shortage of tenants there. So it's always washed its own face, Ollie. Yeah. That's right, yeah, good, good. And just to uh, just interject there, Tim, um, we do actually cover Newcastle now. Um, we have an oh, agency nice. up there. So, you know, when yeah, that comes okay. back up, uh, you know, it's- I'll give you right. some keys, certainly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I say so I bought my house in, in, in Edinburgh, lived in it, and I, I just always wanted to be in property. I, I yeah. just, just understood it. Um, I uh, I knew it was uh, the right thing f- for me, just because of all the the um, advantages that I explained before. But what I then did is, um, together with a, a friend of mine, we, we bought an old two bed in a place called Morningside, which is in the middle of Edinburgh. Okay, very um, nice. And that was my first uh, sort of look into the property development side of things. So I um, refurbished that essentially, uh, made a hundred thousand mistakes. Anything <laughs> that could have gone wrong, we would have probably done, you know, uh, talking about plastering, then getting the electricity put in <laughs> to have to replaster. Gosh. You know, painting, painting over wallpaper that probably needs to come off, that then has to come off. And literally, we could have not done anything else worse, I think. And we ended up walking away with 20 grand. So you you flipped this one on. So we flipped it, yeah. Um, And it took us probably about eight months to do, and it probably could have been done in a month. I mean, we we can do stuff like that now in two weeks. Um, But we did a lot of it ourselves, which we also probably shouldn't have done. Um, And came away with 20 grand. um, And we're like, oh. That's not that's not that bad, you know. Doing it outside of rugby and stuff on the side every now and again. Yeah. Um, so you were where so you, were, you really were started on the game, invest- and then you were you know, like on a on a Saturday, and then on a Sunday, you were done in the scruffs and yeah. uh, doing some doing some decorating and ripping stuff. Yeah. Up. So so me and my, me me and my wife would just go over and you know get a load of wallpaper off and take half the wall with it and whatever yeah. else. <laughs> I mean, I remember being with a with my friend and he uh, there was this big building corner cupboard corner cupboard in the kitchen and he goes ah i think we should take that out but it was kind of like an integrated hole you know into the wall part of the wall and i was ah i don't know maybe should have to think about it i went out for coffee came back and he'd hacked half of it away with a sledgehammer already <laughs> then he did the same thing with the, with the mantelpiece so that the fire essentially said so, yeah i didn't like the fire and i was like Jesus Christ, mate. Anyway, we did a lot of stupid stuff and came away with a bit of money. Uh, but where it really started is, you know, post-financial crash 2012, 13 time, there was a lot of um, like uh, bank uh, bank sales on. Yeah. 
So properties that had been uh, taken back by the bank uh, mm-hmm. were getting sold off to investors. And we kind of got wind of this um, and kind of got in with the, uh, the, the estate agents that were dealing with this. And there was a property, which I still own now, um, which we purchased off the bank for £127,000, I believe, at the time. And it was probably worth about 155 In Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. So we, yeah. we bought this cash. So basically, we rocked up to this building. There was probably about 20 investors there and all cash buyers. And if you had the money, you could get a bit of a discount. This whole block was being sold off, essentially. So we bought that um, and then rented it out for a couple of years, uh, got a bit of rent from it, didn't touch the rent. And we went, right, we should probably, you know, get something else with it. And then we got the idea of getting a mortgage on this one property, using that as a deposit to buy a load of more properties. So we ended up going from one to four properties in basically a summer. Um, Then, uh, they started generating so much income because the mortgages were tiny that we um, basically started buying another property every year. Um, wow. And it's now probably, let's have a think, it's now seven, eight years later and we've got a portfolio of 12, 12 wow. properties in, um, in the Edinburgh city centre, which we've never ever stuck more money into than that very first uh, purchase we made. Yeah, nice. So although you might not have uh, rode the market cycle right in Newcastle, you um, you definitely got in at the right time. Uh, no, we did we did really well in Edinburgh, and, and like I said, um, we again, you know, kind of by accident got into areas that enjoyed some real capital growth. So we've always kind of invested, almost by pure chance, in areas around the city centre, which have got good transport links where people want to live, they can easily access the city centre, but right next to premium areas. Mm -hmm. So what you then find is you can achieve pretty good yield, um, but you can also enjoy uplifts on the capital gain side because they kind of move with those premium areas. Um, And and on top of that, we've seen gentrification of some areas in Edinburgh, which have gone, probably done 100% uh, in respect of seven or eight years. So we purchased flats um, in those areas back in the day for 95 grand and they'll be you know, well north of 180 now. Wow. So Tim, um, can I just ask, so when did you kind of change your, um, your goal then? You, you, you mentioned a bit about um, capital gain, you also mentioned yields. Um, when did you kind of stop, when did you decide that the, the yield was, was enough and your cash flow was doing, was doing fine? And when did you kind of flip the switch and think, right, Let's get after a bit of uh, a bit of growth. It was almost I was going to ask the same question, like a mindset shift where you thought, you know what, if we yeah. start leveraging now, we can buy, like you said, four properties. Was I like, was there a switch that went off, or did you speak to a colleague? No, did you set yourself a, a, a goal in income, or like how did you? No, well, we, we did. We we did set, set ourselves in a miracle goal. We we said um, at the time I was still playing rugby. My my business partner had finished rugby already. I said. By the time I finish rugby, we should probably have 10 properties. That'd be a nice goal for us. And I think that in itself uh, set us uh, some parameters between where we were and where we wanted to go. And then you look at how much money you, you have and, and what you can roughly spend per property. And that would always kind of send us towards the same type of neighborhoods. Like I said, you know, right next to good areas, but not as expensive. We've always focused on one beds because um, one beds being the bottom of the market 
it just never falls out of the market. You know, with rent increases in the last couple of years and the cost of living going through the roof, uh, more and more people being pushed towards the bottom of the market. And you know, we find that our properties are, uh, on average, empty for you know probably two days a year. Wow. Uh, no problem renting them out. And, and you know, with with the rent increases and you know having held these properties for such a long time, um, our, our yield has just grown steadily year on year. But I wouldn't necessarily say that there was a huge mind shift, uh, mindset shift in um, going from uh, yield to capital gain. It just, I think we've just really enjoyed the ride of, of, of the Edinburgh capital grain property market. We, we were always in decent areas and it's a bit like London, you know, a place like Brixton 10 years ago. These places, these city centers are forever expanding. People need to live in the city center. Uh, and you know we see like i said gentrification which has just pushed property prices through the roof and it's sad for people that want a first time buy but i feel like we are providing a service in that we are good landlords we don't tend to push our rents uh, very hard we just go with the market and we always sort the properties out very well before and after um, lets yeah. and we don't actually have a huge turnover and you know the big the biggest compliment to us was during um, lockdown one there was people struggling with rent and people moving out and all sorts of stuff and we had no one in our whole portfolio asking for a rent reduction or uh, asking to be let out of their lease or nothing um, which was uh, which was really nice cool good well thank you yeah thanks for that so we've got a bit more of an idea of um, of, of your kind of portfolio and also your um, your, your goals I guess so we don't do as a as a as a company and um, i'm sure we've got landlords that that, that 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 do a bit of this but we don't invest personally um in in scotland so now obviously we know we know about the kind of how the um how the process works and a lot of people think that it, it works better than england um a little bit quicker maybe a bit um maybe a bit easier and a bit more efficient now what would you say um are the kind of key differences um and and why do you why do you kind of prefer investing in Scotland than um, than in than in England? Well, I think um, it's probably heavier regulated up here. So, so what you find is that um, when someone wants to sell a property, they have to get a home report prepared, which is a big sort of ten pager with uh, everything that um, a surveyor has found about the property, what may be wrong with it, what might not be wrong with it, uh, any issues with uh, you know energy performance certificates everything is in this sort of 10 pages so when you're buying a property you know exactly what's not and what is wrong with it mm -hmm. um, so that gives you a lot of peace of mind before you even make an offer this is always available before you even go and view a property for instance yeah wow. so that in itself is 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 a real nice um comforter but the other thing we have here because all solicitor state agents are regulated by the law society in scotland uh, there is no such thing as gazumping up here. Yeah. So, right. so when someone um, accepts your offer, they um, they don't have to go with it, but they can't or they can't accept another offer on top anymore. They can't. The process is then closed. Um, it goes to conveyancing and it goes through through the legal stage. And if they were, so, so that solicitor can't accept any better offers. Um, yeah. If the owner has got wind of uh, a better offer for. Like, through the grapevine or whatever, that solicitor cannot act for him anymore. 
So right. they would have to, they'd have to pull out of the legal process with that solicitor, start all over again with someone else. Otherwise, that um, solicitor will be in you know, serious trouble with, with the law society. So that in itself is also really nice. Um, and I think on top of that, during tenancies, uh, and I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have um, minimum terms here anymore. So right. when someone rents a property, it's not for six months or for a year. It just goes on to a shorter share tenancy, um, which uh, is a minimum of two months. And after that, it um, can be broken after every month. So the, the tenant has got uh, a very easy way out. Yes, more rights, um, yeah. And this may seem scary for landlords, but actually we found so far that it hasn't impacted at all on our average tenancy length. And I think the fact that people um, you know, don't feel like they can be trapped in tenancy agreements means that um, letting out properties is potentially easier. Uh, and uh, you know, people aren't uh, constantly worried about having to sign a new standard length uh, tenancy agreement. So it actually, strangely enough, has worked out pretty well, even for the landlords. But that must be testament to to you guys, though, in the way that you do your property and the standards that you you withhold, though, that um, that they don't need to kind of find that way out, basically. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, like I said, we've got sort of a forever growing portfolio now because on the other side, I um, I've gone into full time property development as well, and we've recently made the the, the choice to hold onto all of our finished projects rather than selling them. So our property numbers have kind of gone through the roof, both in my personal name and also uh, in, my, in my limited company. We've got an investment company alongside it. Um, and you're now at the point where, you know, we get requests, repairs almost every other day, probably maybe twice, three times a week at least. Um, and we just we just go with it. Like, you know, the washing machine's broken. Can we get a new one? Yes. Uh, there's a leak. Can we send out a, a plumber? Yes. Like You have to take a long term view on this stuff because the bigger the portfolio becomes, the bigger your issues are going to be if you don't keep it up. Um, yeah. We've yeah. got a pretty ambitious goal uh, to get to to get to 50 million, which is very ambitious, actually. But, you know, you, you can't get to that with with constant teething issues with properties that you don't look after. And, you know, we're now sort of at the 10 year mark um, and we look back. We look back at our portfolio and some of the first properties uh, we've we've ever bought, and we're starting full refurbs on them already. Right. But you can't just have you can't have an aging portfolio, portfolio. if you want to keep yeah. making money on it. Absolutely. So what have you got going on, Tim, with the property development side? We just talk us through a little bit of that then. So because I always say often, we and Ollie talk about you often start your property journey starts off, doesn't it, with you know buy to let properties generally, and then after that you might start looking at HMOs or service accommodation then you might start looking at developments commercial to resi conversion what, what have you got going on going on there? yeah so so we started um i finished rugby in 2019 uh, and we started literally refurbishing one and two beds uh, buy flip them in and out sort of within six months and we were doing pretty good numbers at those time with at least once one a month um so we finally you know got up and running COVID hits uh so we're completely at a standstill we couldn't build up here building sites everything was shut and um, when uh, lockdown one finishes, there's just a race to the market. Everyone's trying yeah. to buy everything. There is price are going through the roof, and you know the, the margins are being squeezed out of the the projects before you even got your hands on them. Wow. Um, so we we were like, "Fuck, what are we going to do here?" So we ended up, and again, kind of by um, 
by luck, we bought an old restaurant um, in a very nice area of Edinburgh in Stockbridge. Uh, and we turned that into a two bed. And again, made some pretty decent mistakes in it. Uh, you know, there was all sorts of stuff that we should have done that we didn't do and, you know, name it, um, mainly on the planning side with, with the council. But um, we actually ended up selling that for pretty good profit, uh, bought a, an office in Morningside near, near where I live myself, did the same thing. And they were like, oh, hold on, this is brilliant because not only do you get all your VAT back on refurbs when you go commercial to residential, commercial property is also much cheaper. After lockdown, buying commercial property was easy because com companies just did mm -hmm. not have the confidence yeah. to, to buy offices or whatever else. And on the other side, we were selling into the residential market, which was also on fire. Um, so we did that for a while. Did, we did four or five of those. Uh, and then we kind of got into to, to multi-unit blocks. So we started buying, um, for instance, we've done a big sort of bar in the student area of Edinburgh, which we've just turned into three flats. Um, we've bought a uh, travel agents uh, close to Murrayfield, wow. which we've turned into two flats. Um, and we've bought a big warehouse uh, in Leith near the docks, which we're sticking six flats in. Uh, we just put an offer in on uh, another big office in, in Studentville, which we're going to stick six flats in. So that was kind of our plan. You know, we, we, when you start buying buildings and splitting them into multi units, the, the profit margins, you know, they go from say 15 to 20% to 40, 50, sometimes 60% ROI. So it's a completely different game. And obviously it um, asks for a much bigger hunting fund, which we luckily have, uh, which keeps us afloat. We start working with some of the bigger banks in town who uh, you know, run us through projects, which is really nice. But the biggest decision that we've made in recent times has been to, instead of sell, is keep a hold of our properties, gear them. Yeah regear them and rent them out and we're kind of now at the level where it's really starting to snowball but what got us to that is that my business partner down in london every time we'd sold something you know six six months later or a year later like, oh, what do you reckon that's worth now and, and i would name name a figure which was almost always you know exponentially higher um and he's like right we need to stop selling and i was like i don't know but we kind of just got to that level where we had enough money to, to actually do it um and it's been yeah, it's been incredible. It's been uh, it's been really good fun. And where where do you find the deals, Tim? I know obviously what we found in the northeast is you know everybody at the moment as you, as you you know is on development. So are you finding deals harder to find? Do you have relationships with agents? How would you sort of um, get around all that? Yeah, we've side? got decent relationships with uh, the surveyors. So most of the commercial stuff gets sold by the larger con uh, surveying firms. So the likes of Graham and Sybil and, and Allied up here. Um, which we have good relationships with. Um, and I think for us, because we're cash buyers, that kind of gets you ahead of the queue a little bit. But also we've kind of turned into preferential buyers because we've managed to pull through in almost all of our projects. Uh, we've actually just not been able to complete on one recently, which luckily wasn't our fault. But once you instill a bit of confidence in these firms, you know, word goes around town, they all talk uh, and we, we tend to be led into properties before they come to market or will be first one in on it when they're on the market, which gives you a little bit of a, uh, an advantage. But it's, you know, it, it's good for these guys as well, because they've got clients that, you know, want to see money and they know they've got a guaranteed sale with us if we come to offer time. So um, that, that makes it a lot better. Um, nothing goes to auction in Edinburgh. Um, it's much too there's there's much too much demand up here um but we, we it will go to, to sort of blind offers um 
uh, at times. And we've been in a couple of bidding wars where we've missed out uh, and quite a few where we've we've managed to win. Um, and luckily, the ones where we've missed out, we've kind of figured out that the price that it actually went for, it wouldn't have made sense for us anyway. Yeah, um, yeah I think, you know, Edinburgh is, a, Edinburgh is a village. So once you get going and once you get a bit of a name for yourself, uh, you know, you're very, very quickly... Um, very quickly find it they, they, they come to you uh, and i think on top of that because we're we're obviously fairly small players um we're kind of in a really nice niche because we are um uh, obviously miles away from the diy guys that will buy something and, and you know do it up and then try and sell it again um but we're also not big that we're competing for multi-million pound projects um off the bat so we're kind of in a really nice niche in the middle where not a lot of people operate and and, and then you know when you come with cash um yeah it's an, it's an easy sale most of the time perfect i know um i know tim that you uh, you don't have much time this afternoon and um i'm sure we could talk all uh, all day um and it's, it's really really great hearing you um talk to a candidate i know we've been friends for a while but we've probably not talked uh, at this length about property um, for our entire lives, so it's um, no. It's we nice tend to, to talk about other things, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, uh, yeah, it's just nice to pick up a few, uh, a few, a few tips and hints from you. Um, you know, like reputation. I think that's that's really key, isn't it? Um, as soon as yeah. you can kind of, you know, you, you, you build a reputation and, and you get the deals coming to you, but it just takes that initial kind of um, that hard work at the beginning to get that right. Um, yeah, now for sure. Follow through. Yeah, I think that's a really key point. Um, and also hitting that hitting that niche, not being too big, not being too small, um, fishing in a in a in a decent yet. pond. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tim, if you want any advice for any of our listeners who are, who are just starting off in property, and uh, you know, a good one I always think is don't be scared to make mistakes. And, and you've you know mentioned you've made a couple. I know I've made loads. You've yeah. made plenty, Ollie. It, any advice you could give to to anyone listening that's thinking about? starting off in property um yeah i mean i think i think like you said don't be scared to, to get in you have to do something dramatically wrong to lose money um at the moment uh i think you know obviously come in with with a strategy do you want to make yourself a monthly income or do you want to earn money in the long term um you know do do come in with a strategy and you know, I think it, it's not it's not rocket science. Buy somewhere which is popular, where people you know people always will want to live. Yeah. Um, it's not not going to go down the drain when uh, if there is another crash or whatever. Um, but but do you know do enter the market because the thing that annoys me most is when people are saying, "Oh, property is so hot right now. I'm just going to wait for the market to calm down." It just doesn't work. Property right. property prices are not going to go down unless there is another crash. We we had one in 2008, but before that, the last one was what 90 something. Like it doesn't happen every 10 years. Yeah. Um, and every year that you wait, you're losing out on money. And on top of that, you know, what are you getting in your, what are you getting in your savings account? One, yeah. 1%, 2%, you know, we're making eight, nine, 10% in property year on year. You can afford, if you can afford to lose a bit here and there over time, you know, these things are long-term investments. You're always going to make money because property at the very, very least will move with inflation. Absolutely, uh, very, very key. So, yeah, you so you'd pay a little bit more in a premium area to ensure the uh, kind of long-term, long-term growth. Um, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, don't get hit by analysis paralysis. Get yourself involved, and um, you know, make a few mistakes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so Tim, yeah, we, we, when we met, um, you know, twenty years ago, whatever it was, uh, your hair was considerably um, darker. 
Uh, so if you, <laughs> you grey hairs poking through there now, so there was a bit um, more of it as well. You can't talk about that. <laughs> um, so uh, tell us, right? I mean, this is confessions of a letting agency. Um, tell us what what's causing those what's causing those grey hairs. Do you have a funny story for us? God, uh, funny stories. I mean, what's caused these grey hairs is probably the stress. You know, it's. It's an amazing game and, you know, looking from the outside in, people, you know, look at my Instagram um, and they see the, the good stuff. They see the finished beautiful apartments and they see tenants moving in and God knows what else. Uh, but, you know, it is a bumpy road. You know, we, property development is, is feast of famine. You go from all in to getting all out and then having to go in on something else again, you know, even though you're making money, you sometimes then see a lot of it. So. Um, it can be very stressful, but it, it is an amazing journey. Um, but in terms of funny stories, I mean, I, I only ever get involved in the demolition process. I very quickly learned that I can't build stuff. I can only break it. So give me a sledgehammer and I will throw them through windows. I kick walls down and all that kind of stuff. But um, I mean, the most amazing thing is that I think over the last couple of years, I think I've now found five safes five closed safes wow okay every right. time so so one of these right one of the very first ones was hidden behind the window or underneath a windowsill behind the wall in a, an old property which we bought from bought from an old man that passed away i think and beautiful old um white brother safe couldn't even pick it up so fucking massive and in my head, I'm like, right, this is it. I'm fucking rich here. This is it. <laughs> Jack it I get in. the guys to get it, to open it up. Nothing in it. Um, I've now done that. I've now had that elation and letdown another four times. And I've still not found a penny. Oh, God. Still not found a penny in any of these places. So what was, what was in there then? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Oh, I've a lot of old cassettes yeah. in it, which I didn't bother listening to. No, there's absolutely nothing in it. So I think um, the moral of the story is that no one leaves money in a safe. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Tim, thank you very much for your time. Um, and if, um, if any of our listeners want to kind of follow your journey or find out a little bit more about what you're doing, what's your, you mentioned your Instagram there. What's, yeah, what's come and find me on uh, Timbo Visser, it's called. But if you type in Tim Visser, there's not a lot of those names, so you'll find me somewhere. Okay. <laughs> Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for coming on. No, thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Cheers.